0: Shall we bow together? Father, we have gathered in your house of worship this Sabbath because you created this day and set it apart and said it would be holy and different from every other day in the week. And yet we see around us all kinds of activities that are not um, geared toward worshiping you. So make us aware, make us vigilant in being salt and light in a society that desperately needs to hear and see a difference that Jesus can make. Speak to us, Lord, open our hearts and minds so that when we leave here today, we will know you have spoken and we will have responded. We will have worshiped. Cleanse us and make us whole and new. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
1: Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this this beautiful fall day, and it is uh, fall break, so we have a lot of people on the road, but we are glad that you're here today. We're going to ask that you do something for us. If you would just take the uh, the flap on the order of worship and fill that out, give us any changes that you might have, First Baptist
0: members. Um, And if you're a visitor, if you'll just make sure and give us some information so we can... uh, I'll get in touch with you and give you some more information about First Baptist. So First Baptist, if you'd stand, everyone, and look for those visitors around you. Good morning, boys and girls. How are you today? Good. I'm so glad to see you in God's house to worship Him. I know a lot of folks are on uh, vacation this weekend. It's fall break for Tiff County Schools. And I think, as I mentioned in the uh, 830 service, if if not on fall break, I think a lot of people are at TJ Maxx for their grand opening this morning at 8 a.m. Who would have figured the day would come when we would schedule grand openings on Sunday morning? So that's why I want you to be aware boys and girls, and parents of how our society is changing, and God wants you to be the salt and light. God wants you to be the difference that, that people can see in society and that transforms our society rather than being transformed by our society. Kaylee Medina has the happy club bag, and she brought something. It feels kind of heavy in here. Let's see what it might be. What is this? Kaylee, what is this? Crown. A crown, what's it for? Did you win this or get this or dress up? You, you won it, when did you, when did you get it? Florida. In Florida, was it like a beauty pageant or what were you in that got this crown? Beauty pageant. Something like that, you can't remember exactly, why did you bring it? Were you uh, just excited about wanting to share this with us? Is there anything special about it we should know? No. It's a, crown. it's a princess crown. Are you a princess? Okay. So if I put this on my head, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't make me a prince, a prince would it? I okay. I think my head might be a little bit bigger than this anyway. But, but what I think about this, Kaylee, is, uh, oh, me. Paul is writing, and he's writing to Timothy. And he says, Timothy. I'm, I'm nearing the end of my life, but that's okay, because there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that God has prepared for me from the beginning of time. And so, Kaylee, in Paul's day, they you know they had all kinds of athletic events, and the winner would get a crown. It'd be like, wouldn't be quite like this, but it'd be some kind of thing they'd put on their head, and, and you won this race, or you won this event and they'd give them crowns to, to, to represent that. And Paul said, Timothy, God's going to give me a crown because I've been faithful and just in serving him. So I know this is exciting and, and to have a crown here on earth is, is a real honor. But Paul wants us to know that there's a crown of righteousness that God has prepared for us too. And if we love him and live for him and serve him, God has that crown prepared for us when we go to heaven, and, and it'll be there waiting on us, and that's one thing that we all look forward to. So let's, let's pray and, and ask God to help us live the kind of lives that would honor him. You bow with me and pray after me. Dear God, thank you for the chance we have of living for you. Help us be faithful and deserve the crown that you have prepared. In Jesus' name we pray. Name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can I put this on your head? I crown thee Princess Kaylee. <laughs> Is that a pageant? Okay. Thank you for sharing that with us. Miss Sabina, it's a boy's turn. Where's Ross? Will you take this bag, buddy, and bring back something special next week? Thank you, boys and girls. If you'd like to go to Choles of Worship, we can go with Miss Sabina.
2: the shows 谢谢 i
1: ...watching over us. And get this picture. Peter in a boat with the disciples... ...and he looks out... ...and across this stormy water... ...comes this image, this... ...apparition. And he calls out... ...Jesus, is that you? If it is, let me come out... ...and walk on the water with you. And he does for a few minutes. But then he gets afraid... ...and sinks, but Jesus reaches out his hand and grasp him. That's exactly what he does, and we read that in Psalms also, that God is a faithful God. He says, he brought me up from a desolate pit. He set my feet on a rock. He made my steps secure. Will you stand as we sing hymn number 546, Love Lifted Me. Please stand.
3: Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us of our wrongdoings. Let us be mindful of all that you provide for us. Let us be thankful for all that we have. And as we in our church, your church, comes through this busy time of season, I pray that each of us We'll look at the activities that are going on, the budget that's coming up, deacons to be nominated, festivities of the season. Let us be thankful for all. Let us look around us to see the benefits that you provide for. Let us look around us to see the joy that we have within this church. and Let us be aware that through our tithes, through our offerings, that these benefits develop. So I pray that at this time as we come to receive our offerings, let it be known that he that giveth let him do it with simplicity not grudgingly or of necessity for you do love a cheerful giver let us not give till it hurts let us give until it feels good now Lord I pray that you be with Brother Wayne. Just take his mind and think with it in his mouth and speak through it to the message that you have laid upon his heart that we might hear, that we might apply to our lives so that others might see you in us. These things I pray in your name. Amen.
0: And I enjoy hearing them sing, but I also enjoy watching them sing, because their expressions reflect a sincerity from the heart, and that, that pleases God, I know. Well, I'm preaching through the Bible, and I've had two weeks to think about this passage since we had missionaries last Sunday, I've been in 2 Peter today, and uh, reading through Second Peter, I came upon a passage in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 that just kind of jumped out for a number of reasons. The sermon is entitled, The Merciful Delay. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, there's a, a cursory outline in your, in your worship bulletin. But the reason this, this passage um, drew my focus are these opening words. This opening words, uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, where he's writing to the church, And he says, but do not ignore this one fact. That gets your attention, doesn't it? Do not ignore this, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. So Peter is talking about the second coming. Keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be referring to other passages in Second Peter and to uh, Matthew and to the, the book of Acts. So keep them open, and we'll be going back and forth to God's Word this morning. Why is God delayed Jesus' second coming? Peter says he's not delayed. He's patient. He's merciful. He's doing this for you. Let's bow together. Father, as we come this morning... We are ready to be taken up into heaven. We are sons and daughters of yours. We believe in Jesus. We've been forgiven of our sins. And were it left solely up to us, we are ready. But we realize that your love extends beyond us, to the corners of the earth. And there are those yet who have to hear. There are those who have yet to respond, and you're waiting on them. If there's anyone here this morning or listening by the sound of my voice in television, Lord, speak to them. Bring us all to this point of repentance and forgiveness, so we will not be the reason for your delay. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A story is told about a preacher who was preaching to a a packed congregation about the second coming of the Lord, and he was wound up in a fever pitch, and he was quoting Jesus' promise, I am coming soon, says the Lord. He preached some more, and he got more involved and more animated and said, I'm coming soon. And he preached a little longer, and, and through his arms up and cried out, I am coming soon. And with that, he fell over the pulpit and into the person's lap sitting on the front pew. And he got up very apologetically. The man replied, that's okay. You warned me three times you were coming. I should have been expecting it. Folks, Jesus is coming again. Make no mistake about it. He is coming again. But the question that you and I all want the answer to is when. When is Jesus coming again? I mean, after all, when Jesus was on earth, he said things like, this generation shall not pass away until all these things come to pass in Matthew 24. And that led people to believe that his second coming would occur in that generation. About 40, year, 40 years is the average time of a generation. But by the time of Peter writing this letter, about 50 years later... Folks in that generation were dying off. And so Christians were wringing their hands. When is he coming again? When's he coming? He said he was coming soon. Where is he? How long are we going to have to wait? Why hasn't he returned as he promised? He promised to return in this generation. We're suffering, Lord. It's tough here, Lord. Better come and get us now and take us to heaven. And on and on, the people in Peter's church were complaining. And so Peter answers, They're questions. Why is Jesus waiting to come? He says, first of all, I want you to realize time is relative. Time is a relative thing. And he begins in verse 8 with the Lord. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And what Peter is doing is simply quoting Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, where a psalm of Moses says, A thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord, or as a watch in the night. Well, what's a watch in the night? It's, it's about three hours. There were four watches in the night, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Three hours, a day, a thousand years. To the Lord, it's all the same thing because from the Lord's perspective, his, his framework is eternity. His framework is eternity. So what's a few hours? What's a few thousand years? It's all the same to him when, you're, when your framework is eternity. Let me get philosophical here for a minute. Time and space are earthbound dimensions. God transcends time and space. God is above those earthbound dimensions. That's how he's able to be everywhere at the same time. He isn't troubled by space. That's that's why three hours a day, a thousand years, is all the same in his sight. He's coming from the perspective of eternity. Time and space are in our little world. They're in our little box. And we, are, we cannot confine God to our time and space continuum. He is above it. He transcends it. So, you know, someone asks me, when someone dies, do they go to be with the Lord immediately or when Jesus comes again? And, and we always quote what Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and I, you know, I hesitate to get philosophical with them when they ask that question, but, you know, the answer is when you die, you take on God's perspective of eternity, and whether it's a day or whether it's a thousand years, it's still going to be like the blink of an eye. It's still going to be like the snap of a finger. It's going to be so quick that you won't notice the difference. That's how when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's, time is, ceases to be when we take on the perspective of eternity. God transcends it. So the first thing that, that Peter answers those folks is, why is God's delay? It's because God comes from eternity, and it's not a delay to him. He does not have a to-do list. That he has to accomplish it. He he doesn't say, I better get this done today, or I better get this done this year, or I better get this done this millennium. It doesn't have any meaning to him. The only reason time has meaning to him is because he cares about us, and it has meaning to us. But for him, eternity is his foundation, is his framework, is his perspective. So, whether Jesus comes again before I finish this sermon, or in the next thousand years, it's the same to God. It's like the blink of an eye. We need to quit thinking of God in our terms, looking like us, thinking like us, with, within our confines and within our parameters, because God transcends all that. That's the first thing Peter points out. A thousand years is like a day. It's like a watch in the night. It doesn't matter to God. The second thing I want you to see here is that Peter is very clear in explaining the fact that the Lord is not slow. He's patient. Verse 9, the first part. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing, is patient toward you. What man looks at as God's delay And fulfilling his promise of Christ's return is not slowness, it's patience. God is patient. The word here for slowness, if some count slowness, it means to hesitate. It means to be slack, literally. Well, friends, God is not slack about sending Jesus to come again. He is not hesitant about bringing judgment. And Peter explains the reason why. The reason why God is waiting for the second coming, the reason why there there seems to be some time in this generation between Jesus' ascension to heaven and his return is because of God's great mercy, which he extends to all the earth. Christians Let's face it, once again, we look at the second coming selfishly. We look at the second coming egocentrically. God, I'm saved. I'm ready to be taken home to heaven. You can come anytime you please. We're ready here. Come and get us. That's our perspective looking up, but God looks down from heaven, and he doesn't see only us. He sees the entire world, and he says, but everyone hasn't heard yet. Everyone hasn't responded yet. I love them too. I want them to spend eternity in heaven with me too. I am showing forbearance. I am displaying patience because of my great love for everybody, not only you, but for everyone. So if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, then you are part of the explanation. You're part of the reason for Jesus waiting to come, because God loves you. And if you continue to reject him, then when he does come, it'll mean judgment. It'll be a time of judgment and destruction. Let me move on to the second part of verse 9. I'm going to spend some more time on this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you. Listen to this. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, God has Jesus' second coming already scheduled. He knows when the perfect time is. You and I do not, but it'll be the perfect time. It'll be that moment when God brings everything to fruition, everything to completion. But until that time, God makes it very clear That it is not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now let me take a moment here and talk about two, two different extremes, two different facets to this the passage of this verse. The first one, some people interpret to say it's his desire that all should reach repentance. Well, that means some think that everybody is going to be saved. God is waiting until all are saved. And the theology behind that is called universalism. Universalism is the belief that God is too loving, he is too merciful, he is too gracious to send anyone to hell, and he is waiting until all can be saved, until all come to salvation. Well, if you take this verse out of context, that might be your conclusion, but you've got to back up to verse 7, which is right before verse 8, where we started reading. Verse 7 says this, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Being kept until the day of destruction, judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Clearly, there are those who are not saved. There are those who are not godly, who will face judgment and destruction. It's not God's desire that they be destroyed. He gives us the choice. And if we choose him, we're saved. If we, are, if we reject him, we are destroyed. There will come a day of judgment. But God is waiting for that day to give you additional ample time to come to repentance and salvation. Now there's another belief that this verse addresses directly. I want to say a word about here this morning. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There is a theology of Calvinism called predestination. And predestination believes the Bible teaches that some are God's elect and they are predestined to be saved. There are others who are not God's elect and they are predestined to go to hell. And there's nothing you or I can do about it. God in his sovereign power has already determined this group is going to be saved, this group is going to be destroyed, and you can't do anything to change that eventuality. Well, this verse to me makes it clear. He is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This verse makes it clear that it's not God's will that any should perish. It is not God's will that any fail to repent. Now, I do believe that God knows what we will choose. That's called foreknowledge, that's different. Remember, there is, there is no time frame for God. Yesterday, today, tomorrow are all the same to him. God knows what we will choose. He knows whether we will accept him or reject him, but he does not influence that choice. I mean, let's, let's, let's think about this for a minute. If we have to love God, if we have no choice in the matter, is that genuine love? Is it, is it true love if it's coerced, if it is forced? It's not. Love is only genuine if it comes from the heart of desire, not because you have to love someone. Don't you want somebody to love you because they want to and not because they have to? Predestination says you have no choice. But I don't think love can be coerced. For love to be genuine, it has to be free. And it's God's desire that all would be saved. It's God's desire that all would come to repentance. He knows which ones will come and which ones will not, but he does not coerce that. He does not force that. He does not influence that. He just knows us that well, and he knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows what we will choose, but his desire that all be saved. I read an illustration that, that to me really depicted this clearly a few weeks ago that really spoke to me. Let's say that as a parent, you have five children. And you love all five children with, uh, with as much passion as you can muster. You love every child so... I mean, you would lay down your life for one of your children, wouldn't you? All right, let me ask you a question. Which two children of yours do you want to go to heaven, and which three children do you want to go to hell? You don't want any of your children to go to hell, do you? You don't want any of your children to be separated from God, do you? Of course not. Well, as much as you love your own children, how much more does God love his children, whom he created and whom Jesus died for on the cross? It is not God's desire that any be separated from him here on earth or in eternity in hell. It's God's desire that all be saved and, and, and repent of their sins and be in relationship with him. So that's why I believe That God gives us that free choice. He knows what we'll choose, but he does not influence it. In his sovereignty, he has given us freedom. Because for love to be genuine, it has to be sincere. It has to be from the heart. It cannot be coerced. And it's God's desire that all be saved. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. The final thing that that Peter says here is verse 10. Verse 10 as that when he does come the second time, it will be sudden. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Peter is quoting Jesus here. He's sitting there thinking, how can I explain what Jesus' coming is going to be like? And Peter remembers, oh, yes, yes. I remember hearing Jesus say one time that when he comes, it will be like a thief. It'll be like a thief in the night. And if you wait to prepare for that thief, if you wait until he comes to prepare, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. When will it come? It will be when you least expect it. It will be when you are most surprised by it. That's when it will happen. So anyone who purports to tell you they know the day and the hour of jesus second coming they are pretending to tell you something that even jesus said he didn't know jesus said i don't know the day and the hour only the father knows because remember time is earthbound and god knows the future he knows when that perfect time will be but i can tell you this much It's going to come when you least expect it. It can happen before this sermon's over. It can happen within the next 1,000 years or 2,000 or 3,000. I don't know. I do know it will happen when you least expect it and when it will be most surprising. He uses an interesting word. He says, The heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The Greek word there for loud noise is Roizidon. It's almost onomatopoeic. It almost sounds like what it means because the word means that noise that you hear in the air when something goes whizzing by. Have you ever heard an arrow shoot by you? Whoosh! Something goes flying, wishing, whooshing by. That's prozodon. That's what this word means. That's the noise that the day of the Lord will make. That's it. That's exactly what this word means. The only thing I can I can compare that to is is the day that, that my first day I went hunting with my un- uncle. We went quail hunting. And I was about twelve years old. I had just gotten a shotgun, and I was so excited to go out and kill me something. I was going to go shoot something, and he had some bird dogs, and those dogs had pointed a covey. And 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 my you know I've got my shotgun. It's brand new. And, and, and the dogs are pointing, and my adrenaline is rushing, and I'm, my heart's beating fast, and I'm ex- so excited. And all of a sudden, those quail flush. And my uncle spun, and he popped the safety, and he aimed and shot, and, and a quail came down, and I'm just standing there with my mouth open and my gun still pointed down. I mean, it happened so fast that I couldn't even relate to it, so fast. That's what this word means. It means like birds' wings that suddenly flutter. That's how fast the Lord will come. That's how sudden it will be. And if you wait until then to get ready, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Peter wants us to know that some things are going to happen sooner or later. And what, and what we do, because we see time from our perspective, we get comfortable we get, we get relaxed, we get complacent, we have grand openings on Sunday morning, you know, we just kind of go along with the flow, everything is just, um, you know, everything is just status quo. But Peter wants us to know that some things are going to happen, and when they happen, it's going to happen quickly, and you need to be prepared. A man by the name of Michael Parfit wrote a feature article for the Smithsonian Magazine about the Mississippi River. And in preparation, this is back in 1993, in preparation for his article, he he floated in a dinghy down the Mississippi River, and he he studied it, and he learned its incredible power. The Mississippi River gathers its water from 41% of the continental United States. It stretches all the way from, from Montana to New York. That's where its headwaters come from. Half a trillion tons of water flow down that river every year, carrying downstream 63,000 tons of soil every day. That's just a glimpse of how powerful it is. And that's why engineers built levees around it to try to control it, much like the levees in New Orleans. And those levees were built over the years, says Michael Parfitt, and people came to live under its protection and they tore down forests and planted cotton and the floodplain of the Mississippi River soon became the Mississippi Delta, one of the most fertile areas for farming in the United States. Now 8 million people live in that Delta, but at what risk? He said the levees cage a giant for how long? Parfit published his article in February of 1993 in the Smithsonian. He said, people have gotten a sense that everything is controlled, but that's a false sense of security. And Parfit had no way of knowing when that article was published in February of 93 that four months later, in the summer of 1993, the Mississippi River would flood its banks in one of the worst floods in our nation's history. Just a few months after the publication of that article. And I, I read that, you know, and I think, you know what, we are, are not so different. Peter is writing to his, his church, and he's saying, you folks hang in there. I know it's tough, but you persevere. And he says, why? He says, first of all, Jesus is coming again. You can be certain of that. He's coming again. He is not delaying. He's being patient. So that everyone can hear and respond. He is showing mercy. And then he says, but when the time's up, it's up. It's like when you take that standardized test and the teacher says, stop. Put your pencils down. Close your booklet. It's time's up. And if you wait until then to get ready, it'll be too late. And so what we need to do is heed the words... Peter, when he was preaching earlier, on the day of Pentecost, in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, they said, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. What shall we do if this be true? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know when Jesus' second coming will be. But I know it'll be sudden and it'll be surprising. And it'll be soon. It'll be with a giant whoosh like an arrow coming through the air. And if you wait to get ready until then, it'll be too late. Why is he waiting? Well, for a couple of reasons. In the first First, respect, he's not waiting. Time is relative to him. And secondly, he's giving everybody a chance to hear and respond. He might be waiting on you today. Shall we pray? Father, as we come here today to hear this word, From your servant, your apostle, who got to to walk with you and listen to you and repeat some of the things he heard you utter. We are reminded that we are in the the in-between time, between your ascension and your coming again. And you have given us ample opportunity to hear and believe and respond. But one day soon, that, that opportunity will close, that door will shut. And all who have not responded will be sent into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not your desire to send anyone there. It's your desire that all should repent and experience salvation. And you've given us this opportunity today to do just that. If there's anyone here within the sound of my voice, Father, we pray that they would hear and believe and respond. Ask for forgiveness of sins. And invite Jesus into their heart to be Lord and Savior. Now is the appointed hour. Speak to us, Lord, while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. Our invitation to hymn this morning is number 323 Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. Emily Griffin came in our early service upon transfer of letters.